1 Peter chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. I ask that you take your word this morning and accomplish your purposes in each of our hearts, in each of our minds. Create in us faith. Create in us the ability to pursue after you. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you this morning are wearing Zuba pants? <laughs> Probably not going to admit it if you have them on. Thing. Or how about an unbuttoned flannel with the shirt underneath? Any of our kids got the wrist, uh, the bracelets that you take with the thing and then slap and it comes right around them? We got one. I'm not wearing one, but we do have one. Thing. You can say highlights of the 90s. I am so glad to hear that. I didn't realize that some of this was out as I was reading this last week. I didn't realize that you can't wear the flannel shirt anymore, unbuttoned with the shirt underneath. And not only that, but I guess Zuba pants aren't acceptable anymore. I guess you could say that all of those things are out of style. They've come and they've gone. And actually, for the majority of us, we wouldn't touch them with a 10-foot pole. Most of us would actually run the other way. Most of us would actually even make a smart remark about someone we see in Zuba pants or the flannel shirt unbuttoned. They've simply gone out of style. Well, this morning, the opening verses in our scripture passage, basically God's word is saying, hey, these things have gone out of style for God's word, for God's people. We see there in verse 1, chapter 2 today, it says, hey, put away, in other words, undress yourself of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. You see the word there, it says, so put away. Some of your translations may say therefore or wherefore. It's basically saying, hey, in light of what I just said, now you should do this. So we look back at chapter 1 to see what he just said. And we look back there at chapter 1. He had just finished up kind of a paragraph there in chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, where he said, hey, we need to be pursuing sincere brotherly love. Love one another from a pure heart since you have been born again. So that's kind of his previous thought. He's saying, hey, you've been born again, so love one another. And now this next phrase just goes right along with it. So he says, okay, because we're pursuing love for one another, you have to put away these things. 
Notice the things that he mentions. Malice, for example. What is malice? Well, malice is basically desiring to see someone else harmed. So, for example, someone may do something to you and you have malice in your heart towards them. It means you rejoice when they falter a little bit. Not only do you rejoice when they falter a little bit, you want to see them falter a little bit. Now, so malice is what? Relational. You don't wake up in the morning and have malice towards yourself. You don't rejoice when you yourself fail. It's a relational issue. Next one that we see here is deceit. Well, who do you deceive? Yes, you can deceive yourself at times, but when you are intentionally in deceit, you're always trying to deceive someone else, either to get them to think a certain way or to do something. Again, deceit is what? Relationship. If you looked at each of these things in verse 1, we'd see that they all deal with relationship, how we relate to one another. What happens when there's malice? What happens when there's deceit? What happens when there's slander? There's broken relationship. How many of us live well when we're being slandered? How many of us do well when someone's deceiving us? Those things hurt relationship, or you could say those things do not allow for our neighbor to be loved. And so if God's word is saying, hey, here, we're supposed to be pursuing love for one another, then we've got to put away these other things because these things are robbing other people of experiencing that love. You see, we see all these commands from God's word, and we have to understand that God's commands are not like God saying, hey, geez, we've got to find something. I need something to be against. So here, don't do this stuff. All of God's commands are given because they're protection for us or they're protection for our neighbors. So God's commands here, God's actually don'ts, are actually really healthy things that he doesn't want us to do these things because when we don't do them, we can experience healthy relationships. And basically, you know, Jesus is asked, he said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And so then he goes and he summarizes the commandment saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you can see these things here. When we do these things, what are we doing? We're not loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so the reason that God's saying, hey, undress yourself of these things, put this stuff away, the reason for that is because God wants our neighbors to be loved. He wants you and I to experience peace and joy. He wants us to experience these love relationships with one another. And there's these things that break those relationships. And so God says, hey, be done with that stuff. Be done with that stuff, not because it's out of style, but because it's not in line with being the people of God. These things that we're supposed to put away are not in line with being the people of God. And that's what we're going to see today in 1 Peter chapter 2, is what we are called to be. And when we understand what we are called to be, then we can begin to understand what we are called to do. What are we called to be? What is, what is God doing today? Let's look here in verses 4 through 10 to understand who we are called to be. Who are we called to be? We begin by looking first at what it says about Jesus. Verse 4, it says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. So this, the author is assuming that we're going to come to Jesus. Notice it says there in verse 4, As you come to him. It's not saying, hey, come to him. 
It's saying as you come, it's assuming that this is taking place because of the previous verses. We've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So what are you going to do? You're going to go back for more. I mean, how many of you go to a really good restaurant and you're like, oh, this place is fabulous. This buffet is to die for. Thing. What do you do? You return to the buffet, right? When you taste and see that something is good, you go back for more. And basically, Peter's saying here, hey, once you've tasted that the Lord is good, once you've seen that he's redeemed you from all of this, this worthless stuff, you're going to come to him. You're going to want more. He uses the illustration here. You're going to long for him like babies long for milk. Have you ever been with a baby at 3 a.m. when they're longing for milk? The words, breakfast is at 6.30, does not seem to satisfy the need. What's the only thing that satisfies the need? Milk. There's that, that longing, that intense longing. They want it at all costs, and they will let you know they want it. And the apostle is saying here, hey, you need to pursue the Lord like that. Basically, you could kind of summarize it up like this. If you want to get rid of deceit, slander, malice, what do you have to do? Pursue the Lord. So you want to fix these horizontal relationships? You actually have to pursue the vertical relationship to fix the horizontal. It's intended that when we have a healthy relationship with God, then we have a healthy relationship with others because we're extending to others what God has extended to us. So we need to pursue Christ, go after God, go after Him through His Word that He's revealed to us because when we pursue Him, we become healthy with Him. Therefore, our relationships with one another become healthy. Pursue Christ like a baby pursues milk. Why? It's because of who we are, and that's what we're getting to here, is who we are, we are the people of God. So basically, verses 4 through 10 here, there's not a single command again in verses 4 through 10. Remember when we started this series in 1 Peter chapter 1, the first 12 verses, I said, hey, there's not any commands here. It's just all a description of what God is, what God has done, and who we are. Well, verses 4 through 10 here in chapter 2 are the exact same way. It's like Peter's taking a breath in the midst of his letter of all of these commands, and he's basically saying, whew, let me take a minute and remind you all who you are, what God has done, because then we're going to get right back into it after these verses. So he's just reminding us. He's saying, hey, this is what God has done. This is who you are. So what is it that God has done? Well, God has chosen a stone, a living stone. Jesus is described as a living stone. Let's not rush past this. Notice the word living. <laughs> this is a big deal. We do not follow a dead king. Our king is alive today. How many times do we only celebrate that Jesus is alive? One Sunday a year when we say, He is risen. Okay, there's a couple that are alive. First service, there was nothing. Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive. This is, I mean, we could spend all day on this. This is absurd, people. Because Jesus died. He was killed. And then he came back to life. And when he came back to life, he what? Stayed alive. You know, we hear stories today of somebody being pronounced dead and then they're brought back to life. But what happens? They die again. <laughs> Jesus is the only one in all of history that has ever even claimed to die rise again, and stay alive. This is our King. He's alive today. Jesus is orchestrating events from His throne in heaven. 
We serve a living king. And that's why the verses say here that we can go to him because he is alive. And through his word then, we interact with him. We understand his purposes for us and his desires for creation. Our king is alive. And so therefore, what our king is doing is that he's building up a people group. He's building up a living temple. Verses 4 through 10 here are all using all of these images of stones and, and priesthood. Well, let's take a journey back for a moment to our Old Testament Sunday school days, right? So in Sunday school, we were studying the Old Testament. What was central to the nation of Israel? The temple. When they were wandering in the wilderness, what was the big deal? They had to get the tent set up because when they went to the tent, what did they do? They encountered the glory of God. And then after they kind of became the nation, they inherited the land, what was the next big step? Build the temple. And then the whole Old Testament always is all around about when are they going to be able to rebuild the temple, coming to the temple, da-da-da-da-da. It's all about the temple because in the temple, the glory of the Lord is revealed. But now, in the New Testament, we see this, this massive new plan that God has. That that old temple was just a, a foreshadow of what was to come. That what God's doing now is he's not building a, a brick temple somewhere. God's building a living temple, the people of God. That's why he uses the language here, living stones, you are being built up into a spiritual house. To do what? To be a holy priesthood. So in the Old Testament, you had the temple where the glory of the Lord was revealed, but then also in the temple you had the priests. And think of a priest as two functions. First, a priest does what? He goes to God. So a priest had direct access to God. A priest could enter into the throne room of God and offer sacrifices and offer prayers. So that's what the priest would do. But at the same time, the priest had another function. The priest had the function of what? Going to the people on behalf of God. So God brings a message down through the priest or delivers the message of forgiveness down through the priest. So a priest has direct access to God, but then also a priest has what? A responsibility to the people. And now the, God's word here is saying to us, he's saying, hey, all of those who follow Christ are in the priesthood. You are a priest. And some of you are going, oh, what? I did not sign up for this priest thing. thing. I mean, really? Thing? But yes, we are all priests. And therefore, you can kind of think of our role as double. First, everybody here today has got direct access to our Heavenly Father. I mean, this is also really crazy to think about. Everybody here is a VIP in Christ. Everybody here has direct access to the throne room of God. Now, I'm a vocational minister, which means I actually get paid to do it, which is kind of nice. Thing, Sorry, not everybody else. You don't all get to enjoy those fruits. However, thing, all of us have the exact same level of access. I don't have some neat little control room that I go into on Monday morning. Beam me up, Scotty. Thing, I've got the exact same access that you do. We all have direct access to God through Jesus Christ. We are made VIPs through the blood of Christ. So as a priest, we've got direct access to God, but then also as priests, what do we have? We have a responsibility to the people. So now God's building up this group of people that have direct access to him and this group of people that now are responsible for the world around to bring the message of God to all of culture, to all of people. This morning... You're a priest. 
We may, think of our, we may think, well, we only have a couple of ministers that really do. No, all of us are ministers. You know that at Wells Fargo this next week, there are multiple priests working there. At, servant, at uh, Service Master this next week, there are multiple priests working there. At the Sioux Falls School District this next week, there are multiple priests working there. It's because you'll be there. And wherever you are, there's a priest present. You have direct access to God, and you also have a direct responsibility to the people to bring God's message, to reveal God's glory. Who are we? We are priests. We are being built up into this people of God. So again, Old Testament, go back to Genesis chapter 12 this afternoon and read Genesis chapter 12. Abraham is chosen, right? So Abraham is chosen. Why is Abraham chosen? Well, God just needed someone to spend some time with. I mean, God's like, hey, I need someone that I can just, that I can spoil a little bit. Abraham, why don't I pick you? I'm going to give you a great mansion, all of this stuff. I'm just going to build you up to be fabulous. Why did God choose Abraham? To start a nation through whom all other nations would be blessed. You see, Israel did not exist for Israel. Israel existed for the sake of all the other nations. God was choosing one nation to bring the Messiah through. And now the church, the people of God, what? We do not exist for the church, but we exist for the world. God's not like, hey, let's get some country clubs started. I mean, Sioux Falls needs some country clubs. Let's get them started, bring everybody in, and and take care of one another. No, God says, let's get a church started so that we can show the excellencies of God and reach out to the world around us. Because God is creating a people movement. It's who we are. We are the people of God that now have a responsibility to go to God and also to go to the people. The whole language here is all about the temple. We are the temple. The people of God are the new temple. And then this is where it gets really crazy. Now I'm stretching, right? I mean, in the Old Testament, where did you see the glory of the Lord? In the temple. Now where do you see the glory of the Lord? in us. The world sees the glory, of the, the glory of the Lord in God's people. We say it all the time. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit indwells the believers. We believe that we are now the temple of God. We reveal the glory of the Lord to the world around us. How do we reveal the glory of the Lord? The Lord? We reveal the glory of the Lord by declaring His excellencies, as it says in verse 9, and the process of that is what? Reflecting his image to creation. That's why, that's why God's so concerned here about saying, hey, get rid of all this malice and deceit and slander. Because when that's going on, what's happening? The glory of the Lord is not being shown. So often among God's people, it's been full of just malice and deceit and slander. When rather, among God's people, there should be reconciliation, forgiveness, patience, and peace. Because that's showing the glory of the Lord to the world around us. We exist, verse 9 there, verse 9, we exist, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We exist to reveal the glory of the Lord to the world around us. Because we are the people of God. Now notice in here that There's something, another major challenge for us. 
that who are we? We are the people of God. Everything in here is almost in the plural, completely. Notice that God does not say, hey, I've chosen an individual person, an individual priest, an individual citizen. No, he says, I've chosen a race, a priesthood, a nation, a people group. It's not just me and my Jesus. It's actually not about me and my Jesus at all. It's about God and God's people. There was a missionary that did some work here at Sioux Falls Seminary when I was going to seminary, taught some classes, and he had an interesting experience when he was doing tribal work in Africa is that no one ever asked him how he was doing things. He never heard the words, how are you doing? Or how am I doing? And he said, interesting experience, saying there was no conversation ever about self-esteem. And said many years after been there, he talked to some of the elders, well, the reason there's never any conversation about self-esteem is because individuals never considered their own health without looking at the health of the tribe they were in. So they saw all of life through the lens of community. This is what God's doing. God's building for himself a people group. He's not just creating a bunch of islands of individuals, but God is knitting together a family, a body of Christ. He did not call us to be individuals. Rather, he called us to be part of his people. We're part of something much bigger than ourselves. The question is not, how am I doing? But the question is, how are we doing? We should be so interconnected with one another, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that when one of us grieves, we all grieve. That when one of us rejoices, we all rejoice. That when one part of the body hurts, the whole body suffers. We're so interconnected with one another that we no longer see through the lens of me and mine. We see through the lens of we and his. Who are we? It's not who am I, it's who are we. We are the people of God, called to be the temple of God in our culture, showing his glory through declaring his excellencies and reflecting his character to the world around us. There's a new song that's been written recently by Matthew West. Thing, um, Maybe some of you have heard it on the radio. Matthew West starts the song by singing something like, babe, there's something wrong in the world. God, why don't you do something? Thing. And then the song kind of goes on and he starts singing from God's perspective and says, I did do something, I created you. So the song is called, Do Something. You and I could look around the world today and we could say, oh man, why doesn't God do something? There's all these children who are hurting, there's these people who are, these are people who are hungry, there's injustice. God, do something! Well, what we see here in this passage today is that God has done something and God is doing something. The thing that he is doing is he's creating a people group. He's creating a movement to be his presence here on earth. God has not abandoned creation. Rather, God is redeeming creation through his body, the church, with Jesus Christ as the head. This morning, a lot of us are wearing stuff that has simply gone out of style. And I'm not talking about your ugly sweater you're wearing today. I'm talking about our malice and our deceit and our slander and our gossip. All stuff that went out of style when we proclaimed Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. And the reason it went out of style is because it does not match our mission as the people of God. Our mission 
to reveal God's glory to the world around us. This morning, you have been called by God. You have been redeemed by God. Really, the question remains, will you be used by God to build his kingdom? Let us pray. Almighty God, we come before you and we recognize this morning that oftentimes our lives are filled with things that dishonor you. We acknowledge this morning that we have gossiped and we have slandered. We acknowledge that we have been envious. Lord, we ask that you would take those things and put them to death. Grant us a desire to pursue after you with all of our strength. And Lord, this morning I pray that you'd strengthen us as a people group. Unite our hearts together to be a strong body building your kingdom and showing your glory. Lord, we thank you for your patience. We thank you for your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take a little uh, addendum moment here this morning. and This is different. And you're just getting used to this, right? Something different all the time. Thing. So this is a sermon addendum 1A, you could, you could call it. Thing. I just wanted to share this. as This passage is extremely relevant to understanding life as a church and understanding a common question that I get all the time. And that question is, what about, what's this deal with all these denominations? What in the world? They're all over the place. And so we get this picture from the scriptures that God's creating this people group which we could call the Big C Church, the Church Universal, or as we say, the Holy Catholic Church, which is the universal church, anyone who falls under Jesus Christ. So you've got the Big C Church, the people of God, but then you've got all of these denominations. So are we all the people of God? Are we not the people of God? What's going on here? Well, one way to think about it was this last week I was driving over to Salem, South Dakota, and I was driving back from there. It was just like Goose Central flying overhead. Thing. As I was driving back, they got in their flying V formation, which was nothing new to me. But what I, was something new to me is I saw them in their flying V formation, just a huge, massive V. But then within that massive V, there was all of these other little flying formations within them. Sometimes just three or four, sometimes a little bit bigger, whatever. But they're just little conglomerations within the larger V. And so God's in the business of building up this big people group. You could say the big flying V, the universal church. And then king of glory, we're just one V within the big V. That It's not all about king of glory. The picture is much bigger than just our church thing. The picture is actually much bigger than just all the, even the churches in Sioux Falls. It's the whole universal people of God. And so why all these unique churches? Well, the main thing is, after getting so many people together, you can only do stuff together when you have a certain agreement on certain stuff. You ever see how difficult it is to get anything done with a group of people? You don't really get anything done until what a group of people really rallies around a, a commonality, something they can all agree upon. So one way to think of kind of king of glory or denominations is it's God's people all kind of all rallying around different unique things about the body of Christ. And so really the question for us at king of glory is, what is our unique calling in light of the overall big picture of the people of God? I've used the illustration before with the executive committee. Hey, if, if our unique calling is just like another unique calling and we're doing the exact same thing, that's really bad use of God's resources. We should just join together. And so we've got to ask the question, what's our unique calling in light of God's overarching larger calling to be 
God's people. And that's what we are. We are God's people, and we are a unique subset of that here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota at this time. So just something to consider, question that gets asked a lot when talking about the people of God and the church life. 